Welcome to the Nourished with PCOS podcast. I'm your host, Sam Abbott, registered dietitian nutritionist and PCOS nutrition expert. I'm here to help you learn how to manage PCOS and support your hormones while also having a healthy relationship with food in your body. You can improve PCOS symptoms and labs without dieting. Get ready to feel better with PCOS and leave diet culture in the rearview mirror. Welcome back to another episode of the Nourished with PCOS podcast. I hope that you're enjoying the podcast so far. It's been so fun bringing these episodes to you, and I'm really excited to be bringing you an episode today all about binge eating. So something very interesting, when I first started specializing in PCOS, of course, this was many years ago, I started incorporating intuitive eating principles into my nutrition coaching. I remember I would always say, or I would always think, you know, I'm a non-diet nutrition practitioner, but I don't work with eating disorders. I'm not qualified for that. I don't see people with disordered eating. And I would refer people out. Like if they filled out a consult form for me and that was like their main thing that they wanted help with, I would refer them out. I very quickly learned how common disordered eating is in the PCOS space. I think just because of the nature of you're not given any tools to manage your PCOS, you're just told to lose weight. Binge eating especially. There is a statistic that about 30 or I think 33% of people who seek professional help for weight loss actually experience binge eating. And I do see this a lot in my group coaching program, which is why all of my services now are designed for people who have a background struggling with their relationship with food and their body. I've gone on to get professional training and supervision and binge eating, but that's why I really wanted to bring this to you as one of the first episodes of my podcast launch. So for this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with my colleague, Marissa Malou. She has a practice called Behind the Binge where she specializes in nutrition coaching for binge eating. She also has experience with binge eating, which she talks about at the beginning of the podcast. And overall, she's just a wealth of knowledge. So let's just jump into things. And I really hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Marissa. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Of course. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to chat all about binge eating. But before we get into the ins and outs of binging, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started specializing in this area? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a registered dietitian. And similarly to many other dietitians in this industry, I got into this practice because of my own struggles with my relationship with food. So I struggled with the common diet restrict binge cycle for many years, starting when I was leaving high school and starting what I thought was going to be my career as an actress. That's always what I wanted to do. And of course, in the television and film industry, there is a lot of toxic beauty standards. And especially when you're young, that industry wants to keep you looking young. That's a very valuable asset in the television and film industry. So as I was maturing and my body was maturing, I was trying to fight that. And so I got sucked into all sorts of diets, anything you could name. I've probably tried it. And then of course, subsequently was struggling with binging. And I thought it was just me. 
I was broken. There was something wrong with me. But one day I learned that this was a very common problem for people who have been chronically dieting, not even chronically dieting, but just anyone who started a diet in general, it's very common to have the upswing to binge. And so when I discovered that I kind of had, I was at like a rock bottom and was like, had a light bulb moment where I thought, you know, I don't want this to be my life. So I'm going to kind of fully commit to healing my relationship with food. And back then, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but I couldn't really find help or validation for what I was going through. So I really had to be pretty headstrong to feel as though I deserved help regardless. And because of that experience of going through it alone and healing alone, I completely changed course for my career because I didn't want anyone to ever have to go through that alone the way I did. So completely uprooted my life, moved back to the East Coast, West Virginia, where I grew up, went back to school to become a dietitian so that I could specifically help those who are struggling with the things that I once struggled with. So that's kind of what got me here today. I've always known that I wanted to work with people who struggled with the diet binge cycle and who wanted to ditch dieting to become an intuitive eater. And so that's what I get to do now. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I think you bring up a really important point is that dieting and eating disorders and disordered eating, they can be so isolating and lonely because our culture has kind of like normalized that this is what people are supposed to be doing. And so I think a lot of people really experience the struggles of dieting and disordered eating, you know, alone. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of narratives out there around willpower and grit and motivation being the answer to being successful at a diet. And of course, if you're unsuccessful at dieting, as many people are because it's set up to fail, then you feel like you you're the reason why and you are filled with so much shame for not having the motivation or the grit or the willpower when it's not about that at all. So that feeling can be really isolating because what you see is not what you get. You see all these people who are quote unquote successful, but that's not A, always the reality and B, always as easy as they make it seem. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. And I'm thinking of a lot of the like celebrity trainers or, you know, some of these people on social media that do talk about willpower and say things like, well, if you just really wanted it and stuff like that. And when I actually look at their content, it's very clear that they have a really poor relationship with food. They may have like an eating disorder behind the scenes. A lot of people don't even recognize disordered eating patterns as actually being disordered. Totally. And I I've worked with trainers in the past who have the front on their social media of being a successful trainer who works out all the time and eats super quote unquote clean and doesn't struggle. And then behind the scenes, they're working with me and no shame to them, but it just goes to show that what you see is not always what's going on behind the scenes. So, so much of my work is about putting the trust back into my client as an individual to make their own decisions for them and stop comparing to other people and stop feeling compelled to follow what's external always, like the external validation or the weight loss or just external factors telling you to eat certain ways and actually start to go inward to their own body of what makes them feel good, what fills them up, what is fulfilling to them in relation to their values. Because the second we start looking at what other people are doing and comparing, 
we're setting ourselves up for failure because you you don't always see the full picture. And even if you do see the full picture, that doesn't always apply to your individual life. And so, yeah, I've worked with with many people who who have struggled with their relationship with food, even though you may not really see it from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I know you offer group coaching. I have a group coaching program. And something that I really love about group coaching is people being together and having these open conversations of the things that they've lost or missed out on or sacrificed to stay in this cycle because they're not seeing it anywhere else. And being in that group environment can really help people see that they're not alone in that. Yeah. I've had some private coaching clients before who I've pushed to go into group because they felt so isolated in their struggles with food. But when they saw other people are going through the exact same thing, they're not alone. They're not broken. And also getting to see other people Mm -hmm. get through some of their struggles that can really transfer to their own sort of belief in themselves. And yeah, that community aspect of recovery is so important. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's break down what binge eating actually is because, you know, there's a spectrum, there's overeating, there's binge eating, there's binge eating disorder. Can you just explain that a little bit for everyone listening? Yeah, definitely. So everyone as a human being overeats sometimes. It is very human and that is not something that should raise any alarms unless it's really frequently. But binge eating, however, is something that should be looked at a little closer and should raise some red flags. And that's really the experience of eating a large quantity of food in a short period of time, generally associated with this feeling of losing control. Some people, myself included, may describe it as a feeling of blacking out. And so that's really the key distinguisher between overeating, just overeating, eating past fullness, having you know that extra slice of cake that you didn't need versus binge eating where sometimes you don't even feel conscious while you're doing it. So it's really the way in which you're consuming, the speed, the amount, and then that sense of losing control. Now, if you struggle with binge eating behaviors, you may not necessarily have the diagnosis of binge eating disorder. That has just more specific parameters related to the frequency of your binge episodes, feelings associated with it, any distress you're experiencing how rapid you're eating, et cetera. But I don't even think it's it's necessary. I know it's not necessary to get the diagnosis of binge eating disorder in order for you to seek help. I think binge eating is something that is very distressing and can feel really overwhelming and can do physical, mental, emotional harm, no matter if you fit the criteria or not. So really the only difference between Being someone who struggles with binge eating versus someone who has binge eating disorder is the diagnostic criteria. But I also think that a lot of people, well, I know this, I keep saying I think, but I know, (laughs) I know a lot of people aren't diagnosed with binge eating disorder who do have binge eating disorder. And that's for a variety of factors like the stigma around it, the shame of not speaking out about it, or even just the dismissal of it, especially if that person's in a larger body, they may be dismissed of it and told to go on a diet. Or even on the other end of the spectrum, if someone in a smaller body says that they're struggling with binge eating disorder, they may be dismissed because it doesn't look like it's a problem. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for explaining that. And what I see a lot with the people in my program is there's so much shame wrapped up in binge eating that a lot of people have not explored treatment options or a diagnosis or anything like that just because of the feeling of shame. And I completely agree with you that wherever you are on the spectrum, it, it doesn't really matter in terms of seeking treatment because you deserve to have a healthy relationship with food and not have this distressing pattern in your life. Life. Yeah. And that shame really comes from this idea that it's just your fault, that it's willpower. But binge eating is really a way that your body's seeking to keep you safe. It doesn't make sense logically, but internally, your body goes into fight or flight mode when there's a perceived danger, whether that's scarcity from food, you're not getting enough food, or an emotional danger like fear or stress, right? And the food, although we know logically it doesn't actually meet the need that we're, we're needing, our body's just trying to get something. And food can temporarily meet that need of comfort, of safety, of disconnection, of numbing, or even just physically getting in the calories that your body is craving. And so it's not just your fault. It's actually your body working really hard to keep you safe. So I hope that removes some of the shame for some listeners that it's it's not something we can just turn off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to add on to that, I mean, binge eating, it is a valid coping mechanism for some people that don't have a lot of tools in their toolbox. And I think you can like recognize what's not serving you well, but still acknowledge that like that did serve a purpose for you. Yeah, exactly. And that's where with a lot of my clients, we also talk about normalizing emotional eating to an extent. We don't want emotional eating to be the only tool in our toolbox, but sometimes food can be part of coping and be part of meeting your needs. And that's okay. Yeah, I completely agree. So when you're talking about the safety aspect and kind of like meeting this unmet need, I know your program is called Behind the Binge. What is going on behind the binge? Why do people binge? Like, where is this need for safety coming from? Yeah, definitely. So the most common reason someone might be struggling with binge eating is coming from physical reasons and not like something genetic or biological wrong with you, but really that your physical need for food is not being met. And this stems from dieting, from restricting. So someone may have started a calorie restrictive diet all with good intentions, but internally your body doesn't know that's or well intended. Your body just sees that as a famine. And so mm -hmm. that's unsafe. And so your body's going to make some shifts in order to try to keep you safe. So those shifts to keep you from really starving, even if we see it as minor, your body doesn't. So those shifts might be lowering your metabolism. So you don't actually need as many calories to survive or lowering your, your fullness hormones. So suppressing those fullness hormones means that when your stomach is full, those signals aren't going to be sent to your brain to say, hey, we, we're done eating because your body doesn't know that there's going to be enough food tomorrow, the next day or so on and so forth. So it doesn't want to tell you you're full. If you can get more in, get more in because we have to get enough food 
before the next famine. And so that's where the the physical restriction is really a big contributor to binge eating because it's not just, oh, I haven't eaten enough today, so I'm going to binge and that's going to meet my need. But I haven't eaten enough for an extended period of time. Our body has physiological changes that happen in order to try to get that physical need met, which contributes to binge eating. So you may find that there's feelings of being insatiable. That's also from that suppression of that fullness hormone, because no matter how full your stomach gets, it doesn't really translate to your brain. So dieting, restricting, lifestyle changes that restricts your intake in any way, that contributes to binge eating. Going off of that, mental reasons kind of ties into that with dieting and the diet mentality. If you are thinking, oh, I shouldn't eat the French fries, I'll get apple slices instead. Or I can have an Oreo, but just one and you're wanting more. And when you have more than that, it rids you with a feeling of guilt or shame, or then you subsequently further restrict those foods by throwing them away or vowing to never buy them again. That's imposing a a scarcity mindset in your body. And just that psychological switch alone tells your body, hey, food is scarce again, might as well get it all while we can the next time that you do have access to it. So feeling unsafe mentally with food is a big contributor to binge eating as well. And something that isn't talked about enough is also food insecurity. If you just physically don't have adequate access to enough food because of financial reasons or environmental reasons, that can contribute to binge eating in the future. And so that's something that can be worked on even years later after you do have adequate access to food again. And then really lastly, that psychological component of trauma, emotional eating, those types of things can contribute to binge eating behaviors. Food can be used to escape feelings, to numb feelings, to distract from feelings to provide stimulation. If you're understimulated or disconnection, if you're overstimulated, it can be used in a lot of emotional ways. So those are kind of the three main categories, physical reasons, kind of mental reasons, and then psychological reasons that food could be used to meet your your body's needs. And it makes so much sense when you think about everything that you just explained that when someone is binging a lot of times, they're thinking, I just need to try harder. I need to have more willpower. And that is part of like what perpetuates the cycle instead of really focusing on like whatever that need is that your body has. Yeah. And that's where there are factors that are within our control. And majority of that is how we respond to the information we're gathering from what's happening. And then there's factors that are out of our control. Like I said, the hormonal shifts, the metabolism shifts that are going on that I can't just say, oh, nope, I'm safe and let me just change my appetite, you know? And so what I work on a lot with clients is switching from that place of judgment to more of a place of curiosity so we can deeper understand what's leading to the binges so that we can heal from the ground up, really, rather than just trying to stop the binge from happening when we have the urge, let's figure out why the urge is there in the first place. So if someone is never eating breakfast, always skipping breakfast, and then they binge in the evening, we can shame ourselves and be like, oh, just don't binge again. Try to go for a walk instead, take a bubble bath. But when we get curious, we go, Mm -hmm. well, hey, there's a pattern here that every time you skip breakfast, you end up binging in the evening. So 
maybe we should start there. Let's try implementing breakfast more frequently. And that's really how we then meet the needs so that the binge doesn't have to ensue later in the evening from there. That is a perfect example for the PCOS community because intermittent fasting is pushed on folks with PCOS in all sorts of clinical settings. And hormonally, most people with PCOS have insulin resistance. So your body is already not going to be using carbohydrates efficiently. You may be hungrier, like even when you're eating, depending on you know, how your blood sugars are balanced. And I think that completely contributes to that cycle. Yeah. I hate intermittent fasting because yeah, it is continuing to making you continue to rely on external factors to tell you what you need. When in reality, your body with some practical thinking can tell you what you need. So if you're hungry, that's your body clearly saying, hey, I need food. I'm communicating to you that there is a need for food not being met. Now, if you're intermittent fasting and you ignore that, that is communicating back to your body that it can't trust you. That Those hunger signals alone aren't enough to get its needs met. So why waste energy telling you that you're hungry when you're just a little hungry? Let's wait till you're starving and go from zero to a hundred. And now you're ready to eat the door off of your pantry. And that's also why we may get inconsistent hunger signals when we struggle with binge eating, because if they've been ignored for so long, your body's not going to waste time sending you these consistent hunger signals, it's going to wait until we know that we have access to food or it's way too late and it's zero to hundred and and we're starving. So when we engage in these diets that teach us to ignore our own body signals, we're being set up to fail because it's like, if you ignore your body signal to go to the bathroom, we're setting ourselves up to PR pants. And so it's important to recognize that those signals are there for a reason. I love the way that you explain that. And I think that this kind of represents a larger conversation of what is problematic in medical care and looking at research because we can pull up research that shows the benefits of intermittent fasting on insulin levels and blood sugar and things like that. And I think that that's why it comes up so much in doctor's offices, but that's not representative of someone's personal experience. And for anyone listening, your personal experience is evidence-based. It's not like a research paper is the end-all be-all. Like I'm more interested in what is happening with you and your eating habits and how you're feeling. And I just see so many issues with intermittent fasting. Yeah. And even going off of that research point, how long is the research study? What confounding factors are they not controlling for? And let's say the research is perfect and it is long-term or whatever. If you as an individual were to be prescribed something that gave you a negative side effect, and then you were told, oh, well, just suck it up because it could, you know, improve your, your insulin levels or, you know, improve your blood sugars. Are you just creating another problem with this advice that has been generalized, but doesn't actually apply to you specifically? I, 
I think of it as like, if you were prescribed a pill that was, you were told that is going to fix your problems, but then you get nauseous and throw up all day while you're on it, but it lowers your blood sugar. Is that (laughs) really, is that really the positive outcome that we were seeking? Sure. The study might show it lowered their blood sugar and maybe in you, it lowered your blood sugar, but with a side effect of getting nauseous and throwing up all the time, I don't think so. And so that's where it's important to, again, put that trust back in yourself to be able to listen to your own body, try things and be able to say when something doesn't work rather than feel like it's somehow now your fault and you just need more willpower or, you know, you shouldn't be trusting that your body is sending you a signal for a reason. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree with you. What are some misconceptions about binge eating or some misinformation that you see floating out around online. Before we started recording, you and I were talking about how I'm blown away at how many binge eating treatment programs are coupled with weight loss. Yes. And that when I was when I was thinking of this question, that was what came to mind because a lot of things related to the pursuit of weight loss are actually fueling binge eating. So I'm just curious to hear some of your thoughts about this. Yeah, absolutely. I have so much to say about it. So one of the misconceptions we've kind of already touched on is that binge eating is just about willpower and you just need to be more controlled with your food. You just need to have more structure and more restrictions when in reality that further fuels binge eating. You're further ignoring your body or the needs that are not being met by further not meeting those needs and and creating more of a barrier to meeting those needs. So furthermore, when you try to couple binge eating recovery with weight loss, again, That is all an external pursuit that's ignoring what's going on inside and that's creating further restrictions. No matter what way you try to spin your weight loss pursuit, there has to be some form of restriction involved. And I wish I could say that binge eating recovery and weight loss pursuits was possible because I would be a millionaire (laughs) and (laughs) a lot of people wouldn't have to be facing weight stigma and there wouldn't be you know, so many struggles out there and with body image and this stuff. But unfortunately, I can't ethically say that you can pursue both binge eating recovery and binge freedom and intentional weight loss. They completely, the paths for both of those things completely contradict themselves. And if you struggle with binge eating, trying to lose weight is going to run you into the ground and you may be successful, quote unquote, successful in the short term, with weight loss pursuits, but I'm thinking long-term. I'm thinking five, 10, 15 years down the line, and I'm trying to get you out of the cycle that you've likely been in for years or decades where it's diet works for a little bit, maybe you lose some weight, but then at some point it ends because you've got to get back to your life and you gain the weight back and more, maybe binge eating behaviors arise again, and then it's back on the diet wheel. I don't want this to be something where you just have some some structure short term that keeps you from binging and then you lose weight, but then it all just comes flooding back even worse the next time around. So all of that to say, if someone's out there trying to sell you weight loss and binge eating recovery, nothing behind that has any efficacy to it long term. And it is a very shiny offer there. It is flashy. It's desirable, but it's not possible. I agree with you. I would also be a millionaire. (laughs) When people tell me I'm like profiting off of people's problems with binge eating, I'm like, 
if it's, if this was just about money, I would be in the weight loss industry because that's where the money is, but that doesn't align with my beliefs or my ethics or really the research. Yeah. And I think that this is where you have as our body image supervisor, Brie would say, sitting in the suck with our clients of it's doing the deeper and the difficult work of, you know, what will it look like for you moving forward to let go of that diet mentality and work on healing binge eating? And what does that mean for you? And weight stigma, especially with PCOS, medical weight stigma and dealing with doctors and society and things like that. Like these are very real and valid things. I mean, I understand what keeps someone in the cycle, but it's more, what are you giving up and sacrificing in your life when you do stay in that cycle. Yeah, 100%. And when I work with clients on binge eating and we talk about weight loss, I'm not just like, well, you can't also pursue weight loss. Let's not talk about that. I think that a, I know that a big part of what contributes to binge eating is that body shame and that discomfort in your own skin. And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about body image. We're going to talk about health. We're going to talk about working on other factors that like behaviors that have nothing to do with weight to help you in other ways, etc. So while I'm saying trying to pursue intentional weight loss while trying to recover from binge eating is not possible, we are going to talk a lot about weight and body image because that's an important thing to navigate, especially if your motivation for any sort of health pursuit in the past has been fueled by needing to change your weight. That's that's likely been there for years or decades. And it's not just going away just because I said we have to stop thinking about that now. So yeah, body image work it plays a, a huge role in binge eating recovery. Yeah. And I think also in the PCOS space where weight loss is literally prescribed as the treatment for PCOS, it can be so confusing and difficult and frustrating. But oftentimes what I see is binge eating and disordered eating as a whole and restriction is actually making PCOS worse. But people are not given the space to really reflect on that and explore that because everyone is just taught that like you should be pursuing weight loss to manage your PCOS. Yeah. And as someone recovers from binge eating, they may lose weight. But that is not at all what we're focusing on. But because they also may not lose weight, they may stay the same, they may gain weight. Mm -hmm. It's about going back to trusting that your body is going to do what it needs to do to keep you safe. And through healing, your weight will change. And it may not be where it's going to end up for the rest of your life because your body's going through so many changes as you're normalizing your relationship with food and normalizing your eating patterns and all of this stuff. But we have to work on the root of the binge eating and then whatever happens is is what will happen. And so I kind of see the idea of treating PCOS with weight loss like treating binge eating disorder with just focusing on how do you reduce the bloat after a binge? It's like, that's not really going to do anything. That's just a symptom of what's actually going on. So we have to focus on those other mm -hmm. things. And and yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, I can see no, how it- It makes perfect sense. And also for anyone listening, when I'm saying making symptoms of PCOS worse, I'm actually not talking about weight at all. I always view that as something separate and independent, but you know, blood sugar, 
sugar, triglycerides, cholesterol, liver enzymes, how regular your period is, acne, hair loss, hirsutism, how you're sleeping and your energy levels. These are all things I'm I'm looking at. And so if someone is feeling like crap and has extreme fatigue, sometimes has GI issues, like a lot of times we see these improve as we work on restoring nutrition. Yeah. And if weight loss was what was prescribed and that increases your binge eating behaviors, then that's not even that's not going to help the reason why the weight loss was prescribed in the first place. And so that's where a lot of the work that I do is looking at, okay, even if in a perfect world, weight loss was something that you should be pursuing for PCOS treatment or binge eating or whatever, we have to look at for you as an individual, what's the potential cost of that? And if the potential cost is that you will binge, which will worsen your blood sugar, your triglycerides, your blood pressure, whatever, then is that really worth it if that's you know what you were trying to target in the first place? So it sort of becomes this cycle where we think weight loss is going to cure everything but it can actually really, pursuing it intentionally can really exacerbate some of the things that we're trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of goes back to what you were saying in the beginning about really leaning into your own individualized experience and kind of tuning out a little bit everything that's going on around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for anyone listening who does binge, what would be a good starting point if they are feeling like this is really something that they want to work on healing? Yeah. So first and foremost, just from a behavioral standpoint, the first thing I implement with all my clients is consistent, reliable eating patterns, which really means eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day and trying not to go more than about four hours without eating. And I emphasize that because so many of us, especially in America, go from like noon until seven without eating because we eat lunch yeah. and then dinner is not till later, but that's a long period of time for your body to go without eating. So eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if between lunch and dinner, you have seven hours, have a snack, have another mini meal, something to really start to show your body food isn't going anywhere. It is here. It's coming again. And we don't have to get into this all or nothing mentality or kind of now or never frenzy with food because we can predict it's going to be there again. So working on those consistent, reliable eating patterns is the first step. And then really mentally, the first step is acknowledging where the diet mentality is ruling your food decisions, where you have restrictions that, I mean, may even be pretty subtle, but are making you second guess when, where, how to eat, because that is taking you outside of your body. So if it's seven o'clock and you're starting to feel hungry and you think, well, I had dinner an hour ago, I couldn't possibly still be hungry, but you feel hungry. Where is that belief that you shouldn't eat again an hour after you just ate if you're hungry coming from? And where does that serve you or really not serve you in your life? Same with rules. Maybe you think, oh, I, I had carbs for breakfast, so I shouldn't have any more carbs today. Well, where did that belief come from? Who decided that? Aren't there people who eat carbs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day and are perfectly fine? Why can't that be me? Really start to challenge those beliefs and uproot them because those things can fuel that scarcity mindset and fuel ignoring your body signals. So once we can start to unpack those rules and diet beliefs, 
we can start to live for our own kind of our own body, the the ways that make us feel our best. I love that. And all of these thoughts and beliefs, they're learned. I mean, we're not born thinking that we can't eat after a certain time or that we need to restrict carbs. We learn these from somewhere. Yeah. I studied Italian in Italy in 2019. And one of my Italian teachers, you know, we're just conversing to practice. And I asked her, how frequently do you eat pizza in a week? And she said, oh, not that often, maybe three times. And I was like, that is so funny because for any typical American that I know, that would be too much. That's not good for you. That's bad, whatever. There's all these Mm -hmm. learned beliefs that diet culture has told us about pizza and all this stuff where she's like, oh, I don't eat it that much, maybe three times a week. And I'm like, you're living my dream, girl. But that just goes to show that- these diet beliefs that we have, there may be many other people out there who are living happy, healthy lives, eating these foods that we fear. And so that's where it's all about you. Maybe I wouldn't feel great eating pizza three times a week, but maybe I would. And and that's where listening to your body can give you all of the answers. And listening to your body doesn't mean it's always instinctual. It's trial and error. And you're going to learn things of like, oh, I instinctually wanted that fifth piece of pizza because it tasted good. But then you know, afterwards, I'm able to reflect and learn, hey, that didn't actually feel so good. And so we can put some rational thought into our decision making. But yeah, just being able to expand and question those beliefs. And I always say, you know, think about it culturally, are there cultures that thrive eating in the ways that you're fearing that, you know, it really wouldn't make sense that that should be sort of a blanket rule that we have for ourselves that can help us to see that they are learned and and there may be no validity in the things that we've been taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of the healthiest populations in the world have grain-based diets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Italians are very healthy, live very long, and they eat like tiramisu at 10 p.m. So <laughs> that'll teach you a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I loved how you described like bringing in the rational thought because I think so many people think intuitive eating is just eat whatever you want, whenever you want you're having a stack of cupcakes, you completely ignore anything at all related to nutrition. And that's not the case at all. But we are bringing in like that body knowledge piece where you are reflecting on like your own personal experiences. Yeah. And I think especially if there are other conditions that you have, those can get in the way or at least fog your ability to fully listen to just your body alone. I I don't think anyone just listens to their instincts and that tells them everything they need to know. Like our brain (laughs) is part of listening to our body. But, you know, for me, for example, I have ADHD. I will frequently forget to eat if I'm not more practical. And when I forget to eat, let's say I forget to Mm -hmm. eat lunch, I will find myself feeling more ravenous in the evening, which is not ideal. And then I may end up overeating because I'm kind of making up for lunch. Knowing that and listening to that, I'm able to be more planned about making sure I eat lunch and I'm not distracted doing something else. And that's listening to my body, even though I'm using a little more logic and a little more practicality to make that decision, that's still intuitive. And same, I'm sure with people with PCOS, there are some side effects of PCOS that may make 
you have more cravings or may make your hungerfulness signals a little harder to read. And that's where you can use that information to make decisions as well as like, oh, I think I'm having extreme sugar cravings because my blood sugar may have have dropped and and now I need some because it's been a while since I last ate. So we can use the logic to be like, I'm having these sugar cravings. Let's have some of the thing I'm craving and have a meal because maybe I'm actually likely hungry and needing some food versus just going to the instinct of eating whatever you're craving. So it really is trial and error. And that's why I always emphasize to get curious, ask yourself questions, learn from yourself and from your body and from the decisions you're making. And that's really how you become an intuitive eater. It's not just listen to your body. Like you're, you're really learning and gathering data. Yeah. And even with PCOS, you can be an intuitive eater. It just looks a little different because of some of the hormonal shifts. I love that explanation. Well, Marissa, thank you so much for being here. This has been so fun. How can everyone find you? Do you have anything fun coming up? Let us know. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Everyone can find me on Instagram at binge.nutritionist. I have a course that was released this year called Jumpstart to Binge Freedom. I almost forgot what it was called. It's the Jumpstart to Binge Freedom. (laughs) And it's a really great starting point for anyone who's struggling with with binge eating and are coming out of the diet cycle, but just don't really know how to start navigating healing their relationship with food. And you can find all of that information through my Instagram or go to my website, which is behindthebinge.com. And I will link that in the show notes. Hey, thank you. I also have a podcast, but (laughs) it's called Behind the Binge. (laughs) We will link that as well. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Nourished with PCOS podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe so you can catch new episodes. I'd also be so grateful if you left a review and rating for the pod as well. See you next Wednesday.